Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Besu and Gunai Notebook. This is uh, February 5th, 2024. This is still 2024, and I'm with Arpin Besu. My name is still Marc-Antoine Gunai. Still 2024. Like, <laughs> I know. We're a month in. <laughs> still, we're barely getting started. I know, but this is a long year. As Ooh. any Canadians fans can acknowledge, this is a long year, a long season. And it's going to get even longer for the Montreal Canadiens now that they've traded Sean Monaghan because, um, you know, were, there's still 33 games left to play. It feels as though it's going to be a long, uh, long way to the finish line, man. I don't know what you think about that, but I feel well, like I mean, yeah, looking forward to things, you know, it's, uh, it's we're already entering that zone, that territory of, of, of you know, uh, Uh, lame duck games, basically. You know, well, significant really. games I mean, that they wanted to play. Yeah, yeah, they they don't have. Well, that's what that's what I found interesting in Ken Hughes's kind of comments, and you know, even Marty to some extent. Like, there's there's an obvious. You know, yesterday I was at practice yesterday. You were at practice today. I kind of got a, 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 a the gist of what some guys were saying, and and it's it's obviously deflating. You know, Sean Monahan was a very popular teammate. Uh, an important piece of the team. You know, I mean, you just look at what happened on the power play at practice on Monday. You know, Sean Monaghan goes out, Tanner Pearson takes a spot on the power play. Like, I mean, it's – how are you supposed to objectively look at that as a player and be like, oh, we're fine? You know, yeah. God bless Tanner Pearson, but the team is objectively worse today. And yesterday um, – I kind of wrote about this in my notebook yesterday, but yesterday Cole Caulfield had just done media. He was sitting there, and I go up to him. I was like – Cole, I've been looking around the dressing room and I haven't found the locker for the 2024 first round pick of the Winnipeg Jets. What, you guys didn't give him a locker? And so he laughed and he's like, yeah, Sean's locker is free. We can give the pick to, we can give that. And I was like, you should totally write Winnipeg Jets 2024 first round pick because it's, it's, it's a, it's a net subtraction, you know? And so yeah. from their point of view, um, Especially teams on the power play, among other things. You mentioned I mean, Pearson, the, but Suzuki was saying how, you know, we had a good thing going with Monaghan in the bumper. And, mm -hmm. yeah, his, his absence will be uh, a, a huge hole to fill. Well, I mean, that's what helped his trade value. You know, the Jets needed a guy in the bumper on their power play, and uh, that was a big part of the attraction of, of getting Sean Monaghan over there. So, you know, I mean – The reality of the Canadian situation has to be accepted by the players. And and this is going on, you know, this is a third season, basically, for Suzuki and Caulfield in particular, but a few other guys, um, where they have to kind of take this. And and I think that there's there is a sense that management's, you know, kind of cognizant of that, that they can't keep doing this to these guys every year. And so, you know, I think seeing the, but, but when Ken Hughes was asked about it, you know, he's like, you know, this is another opportunity for the young guys on this team to take ownership of this team. So, you know, I find it interesting, like, like Brendan Gignac is a great story, right? And he comes up, he gets, a, he gets an NHL contract. You wrote about it like a month ago. We talked yeah. about it on this podcast. Um, uh, it happens. Good for him, you know, come, coming back from the East Coast Hockey League, the ACHL. It's not called the East Coast League anymore, sorry. The ECHL uh, played a year in Jacksonville, and now he's he's got an NHL contract and is likely with the team till the end of the year because he's got to go on waivers to go down, and they probably wouldn't want to risk losing him. So 
But when you look at if you're someone like Cole Caulfield or Nick Suzuki and you're like, okay, we lost Monahan. This guy's a great story and he works hard and he's fast. But man, it's like we have we don't come out on the winning end here. But you know, it's it's interesting to me that they're gonna keep their higher end talent in Laval. Like no no disrespect to Gignac. He's had a, he's had a marvelous season. He's almost at a point per game in Laval. This is his most productive it's basically his most productive season as a professional hockey player this year. And yeah. and even as a junior player, I think it was only his 20-year-old season where he produced more than a point a game in Shawinigan. So it's not an offensive guy. So this is really, you know, he's making the most of it at 26 here. But, you know, Joshua Glass staying down there, they needed a guy at center. That's a, that's, that's a grant. That's a given. But, you know, some of the some of the higher-end talent staying in Laval all season, it's, it's going to be interesting to see to what extent the Canadians – stick to that. Um, I think it would be a good thing, you know, because if they do start losing a lot of games and Laval continues to win a lot of games, I think you'd rather have those more important prospect type players down there than up in Montreal dealing with whatever might happen over the next two months. But I understand that when you say, oh, you go from Monaghan to Gignac and it's deflating, but to a certain extent, it's a little bit misleading because in only a few days, it'll be you go from Monaghan to Alex Newhook. And really, well, Gignac, I would say. And Gignac ultimately will end up, you know, probably replacing more Lucas Condota rather than Sean Monaghan. If know? I were them, if I were them, I would actually, depending on how Condota does and depending on how Gignac does, but if they're serviceable centers, I'd rather see Newhook play on the wing. Okay. His his experience at center was so uninspiring. Just didn't and it didn't work in Colorado either. And and once he moved to the wing, uh, he became a better player. So maybe maybe getting more reps at center would would be beneficial to him and 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 it could be something that's in his toolbox that could help the team down the road. But You know, I'm of the mind, like, he had he had built up such good momentum before he got hurt. He was he was probably the team's, arguably, their best forward, like, in the in the handful of games prior to his injury. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'd, I'd, well, I'd give that a lot of thought. I'll tell you what. If, 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 if they did what you suggest, and they made a line of Newhook, Gignac, and Anderson, in pure speed, it would be the fastest line ever. Yeah. On, Wearing the Montreal Canadiens jersey. Sure. I mean, I give it a shot. I mean, I don't know. Why not? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. Like, I, like, Gignac, I don't, you know, it'd be important not to have, I don't think anyone has huge expectations of what he can do. But listen, he's, he's an effective penalty killer. You know, the Paul Byron comparisons are, are real. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a thing. Like, it's, th those are the elements that he brings. Um, And if he shows that he could do a decent job at center or if he can come close to what he was doing in Laval at that position, I would 100% keep Newhook on the wing. Okay. I would really I would really think so because, you know, I, I it comes down to – and really it's, 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 it's a marginal difference, right? Playing wing or center basically comes down to are you taking a face-off or not. But after that, everyone's just – everyone's just playing hockey and whoever's back first – goes down low and whatever. Like the center position kind of loses much of its importance at that point, but it's so, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's misleading. Fine. But 
I don't look at Newhook coming back and replacing Monahan at center as much better than Gignac. No. The way he was playing at center, I mean, it's... No, but Newhook New Hook is is a will be an important piece of this team going forward. And although I think that his future is on the wing in Montreal, and that's what they they see that he's better there, uh, you cannot on one hand, you know, say well we value versatility, and when you have the opportunity to give some reps to a guy in a situation like that, you say yeah, but we prefer it on the wing. So let's 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 kill his versatility and just focus on on his strengths. They can do that, but I think that one of the good things. I don't think he's a good center. No, 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 no. He's, I mean, by the but, same, you can make the same argument. Why not put Josh Anderson at center? He can't play center. I don't. It's it's. I mean, Newhook is has played center in the past. Just because he's played in the past doesn't mean he's an NHL center. I think he's proven already that he's not an NHL center. That he's a much better player on the wing and. If you have other alternatives at center, I would rather put him in a position where he can find that same success he had before he got hurt instead mm -hmm. of being bogged down by the extra responsibilities of playing the center position. It'll be interesting to see what Martin Saint-Louis thinks of that when he comes back because it's it could be – if you coach for the future, it's probably a good idea because you'll say, well, we'll make you a winger and it starts today. Uh, but Or otherwise, you would say, well, it would be such a, you know, ultimately, whether he's, he's a better, not saying that he's not a, a, a better winger than center because that's well established, but he can generate more offensively wherever he is than Brendan Gignac or Lucas Condota or any other option. So maybe the Martin Saint-Louis will say, well, even though I want eventually, I want him to play wing, I'll stick him to center because he's our second best option to create offense from the middle right now. So it's interesting you say if you're coaching for the future, right? And it's, it's, this is the inherent, uh, not conflict, but just the inherent difference between Marte St. Louis's job and Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon's job. So the move that they just made is, uh, is geared towards the future, obviously. Um, and, Marte still has these 33 games where he has to guide these, this team through the present. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it was, it was a great line he had on Sunday where he said, um, what was it? It was, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up because it was really good. To me, it's having a big vision, not a small mind. It's a big difference. And so I think as a coach, You know, he's, he's involved in these talks, and he knew that Sean Monahan was going to be traded at some point, maybe not this soon, but he understands. He gets it. The Canadians are still in asset collection mode. I think even Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, the younger players, even to some extent, Uri Slavkoski, like, these guys understand it. Um, the players in the room understand it, you know, it, it's, it, but it's one thing understanding it, and it's another thing actually handling the repercussions of it and going through the grind. Like 33 games is not nothing. It's almost yeah. half a season, right? It's, it's a lot. And, and these guys are so physically and emotionally invested in this. And so, you know, but it's, it's, I feel, I sense that for the Canadians, they want this to be the last season where this is a thing where the players in the room feel like management is looking past them 
and looking at something else down the line where everything is aligned. And that's not to say that the Canadians expect to be a a highly competitive team next year or that they expect to be, but they don't want to be in the position to be an automatic seller at the deadline. Um, I don't even think they want to be in the position where, you know, they're, they're bringing up, they're giving tryouts to their, to their AHL guys essentially uh, for, for little periods of time. I mean, I really think that this, they want this or whatever happens between now and March 8th, they want this to be the last time the players feel this way about what's going on with the team. And I think that's important. Yeah. Well, okay. But anyway, what, Wait, leading to the trade deadline, what else can they do trade-wise? You know, because you mentioned the fact that they don't want to do this. One man, one name that was brought up to to Kent use when he was uh, when he was interviewed after the Sean Monahan trade was David Savard. So mm-hmm. David Savard still has another year uh, under contract, and so he could be traded this time around, and the team that acquires him gets you know two 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 playoff pushes um, w- with him in the lineup, or the Canadians could decide to keep a useful veteran, a respected veteran in the lineup and wait until next year and trade him at the deadline instead when he's at the last year of his $3.5 million contract a year. But if they choose to do that, it implies that there's a chance that they think that they might they might be sellers again next year. You know, so either they they choose to get a maximum on him this year when he's healthy, when he's productive, and when he can be valuable, and where you could use the last retention slot on him, or you mm-hmm. wait until next year and you say, well, either we keep him for the for the rim for the whole season because we could be competitive and we could who knows make the playoffs, or we trade him at the deadline. But there's it's, it seems like a prime example of it's of a guy where. You 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 can choose to trade him now, but there's a chance also that he might be trade bait next year. Well, I think that's why, you know, when 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 Ken Hughes said, you know, he said in French, and it was at the end of his press conference, he said, "I can't tell you right now that we are looking to trade David Savard," you know, or some some variation of that. He said in French. That's kind of a, a pretty pretty accurate translation, I would say, of what he said, or, or that they were actively looking to trade David Savard or something to that effect. Um, he worded it very carefully. You know, it's, it's, he didn't say we are not going to trade David Savard. No. Let's, you know, he said we are not looking to trade him right now. So what you, I mean, this whole thing, this whole notion of future versus present and all that is, is, is relevant here in the sense that David Savard is an asset that they would like to probably cash in on at some point, whether it's this deadline, whether it's the draft, whether it's next deadline, you know, kind of the, the two actionable points of the season. Mm. Um, I guess one way of looking at it would be, you know, it's not exactly similar, but it's somewhat similar to Joel Edmondson in some sense, in the sense that there's no, there are no health concerns with David Savard. I mean, he, he obviously had an injury this year blocking a shot, which when you play like he does is a constant risk. Um, but you know, Edmondson had more chronic issues where 
I think the Canadians saw a chance to trade Edmondson as 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 just that. Like let's get let's get what we can for this guy before something before he becomes untradeable, essentially. Mm-hmm. In Savard's case, it's not that, but I mean, if we're being really honest about his game, you know, he he's not getting any quicker. The game's only getting faster every year. Like, I mean, are you can you guarantee yourself that next season he will be as attractive a commodity as he is right now? No. Um, it's and so if if that's the case, then while you're not actively looking to trade him, maybe the Canadians should be passively taking offers on him. Like it's it's you know I I don't. I don't think the Canadians have called around the league and said, David Savard is untouchable. Let's just put it that way. I, I don't get that impression. Like, I, And they shouldn't no. do that. And so, but the other part of it, the, 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 the mix between future and present part of it is you just traded Sean Monaghan, a very respected voice, a, a veteran leader in that room. You have Mike Matheson, who they want to fill that role he's he's got an a on his jersey for a reason uh and they have david savard and they have jake out and so other than that there's no real vocal i mean brendan gallagher obviously is still there so other than that not a lot of real vocal leader types in the room and so you know when it comes to their young d <clears throat> i think they see savard as as someone who's Who's very helpful um, to you know? You just have to talk to Caden Gooley, Struble, any of these guys. Jacki, they all love him. Yeah. He's a very he's a very similarly loved teammate as Sean Monahan was. Um, so while rationally you can justify trading David Savard away with a year left on his contract, um, you have this reality of of how that message will be received in your room. Where, which I think the Canadians are more conscious of now than they might have been a year ago or even two, or when they first arrived, as far as this, this administration is concerned. Well, plus, if you trade Savard, who's a right-handed shot, uh, now you're really in a shortage of right-handed defensemen. You already have Gouli, who plays on the right side. You ask Harris to play on the right side quite regularly. Justin mm-hmm. Barron's playing in Laval. You lose Savard, it's... it's you're getting really awfully thin. Uh, so there's, I guess there's that aspect too. And when you mentioned the fact that uh, they have to listen to the, the, the young players and who are getting affected by that, I, I also wonder, you know, Marty said on Sunday, the league, you know, he's got this saying, the league, the league doesn't care and the league goes on. Yes. So, the, so it, it's true for trades. It's true for injuries. So the Canadians trade, Sean Monaghan, but the rest of the team still has to go. But I wonder if it's harder for a younger team to get over that that annoyance, to get over that uh, the difficulty of losing a respected and beloved veteran teammate than a more seasoned group who has seen this situation happen very often. And it's not just the fact that they've seen it often, it's just also the canadians the the young players and mainly mainly suzuki caulfield and you can add guli to that it's not the first time that they see this happen so i wonder if if there's there's a, a selling job that saint louis has to do to make sure that they 
they are able to move on. They are able to see beyond that. And they don't dwell over the fact that, heck, it's that here's a guy that made us better. Here's a guy that made us feel good. And he's, he's taken away. You know, it's, it's part of being a professional, but I wonder if for a younger team, it's not, it not, it doesn't have a high. I would, I would play, I would play devil's advocate to that and say that it might be easier to sell to a younger team because the younger team has, is, is far more likely to see the benefits of that first round pick than an older team would and older players would. And so, you know, on this team, for instance, if you go up to David Savard and say, mm -hmm. oh, they got a first round pick for Sean Monaghan, you must be thrilled. He's like, what are the chances I'm going to be on this team when either the player that gets traded to like either the player they acquired by a trade using that first round pick or the actual pick itself is on this team? They're practically zero. You know, I mean, un unless they use it this offseason to make a trade that brings in a guy, which is very possible, just to be clear. Uh, even then, he probably has one season to play with that guy, you know? So it's, it's, I see your point where a veteran team just knows the business of hockey better because they've gone through experiences and they learn not to get to attached to teammates or what have you. Um, by the same token, uh, a veteran team would look at a situation like that and be like, well, first round pick does nothing for me. Where yeah. someone like Cole Caulfield could be like, well, that first round pick could turn into someone that I want, I, I wind up playing with at some point in the next two to three years because I'll be here for that long. Yeah, but every player in that locker room, though, must have nurtured the belief that they could f earn a spot in the playoffs, whether they're 22 or 32. And all of them are seeing this trade right now saying, you know, we're too far behind and it's not happening. So we, yeah, we that's, that's true. That's true. But I also think every player in that room uh, knew Sean Monahan was going to get traded. I think they, well, just I didn't. they did because that was the plan the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't. Well, listen, and you know, they talked to Sean Monahan. Like it's not as if they don't talk to him about it every now and they must have. Mm. Maybe they just expected it to get another month with him. Like that's the only, I think the real disappointment is that like, it's not, it can't, They couldn't have reasonably expected that he was going to make it past the trade deadline in Montreal, especially when Ken Hughes made it so clear that this is basically their arrangement. You know, they, 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 they agreed, you know, handshake agreement that come this time of year, he's, the Canes are trying to find him a place where he could win and, and play in the lineup and, and have a, have a significant role. And Ken Hughes did that. Yeah. He got him to a place where he's going to be the second line center or third line, depending on how you view Adam Lowry. He's an important player on that team. And I don't think he should be like pigeonholed into a third line role. So he's in, you know, our, my colleague Barat Atesh in, in Winnipeg calls it, uh, instead of calling it the second or third line says, this is the second scoring line. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to because the Lowry line gets a, a lot of heavy responsibilities and plays a, a good amount of minutes but he's on their second scoring line. He's going to get a power play opportunity to play the bumper on that first unit. It's, 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 it's a great fit for him. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a great fit for his future contract as an unrestricted free agent. So I think all the players ultimately are happy for him. Uh, but yeah, the reality of their season, whatever slim hopes they were hanging on to, um, are somewhat dashed by it. And which goes back to the original point. Like, do you want, and goes back to the David Savard case where 
Because what you said is true. Like you could trade him next year at the deadline. So what I wonder is, do the Canadians want to get this kind of stuff out of the way as much as they can? Like trade Savard now or trade Jake Allen now who's got a year left on his deal. Maybe try somehow to trade Yule Army at the draft somehow. Um, and just kind of rip the Band-Aid off now. And so that they don't have these uh, – they don't have this situation lingering next season and they don't have to have these questions, the players asking these questions and, and wondering about these things because yeah, I do feel that they, they want, they want their young players to see growth and they want their young players to see progress. Just like Ken Hughes said, this season is about progress and Martin St. Louis says the season is about progress. Well, the players have to see some progress too. And you know, they should, in theory, have a healthy Kirby Doc next season. Like, the, you know, and, and I, it wouldn't shock me if the Canadians, without making necessarily a free agent splash, like if the Canadians went out and got some established NHL players yeah, um, this offseason to kind of surround the young guys and give them more insulation and make them slightly more competitive, even if they won't be as competitive as they hope to become when they reach their peak. Um, just to avoid this, what's going on here and what's going on in Ottawa and what's going on in Buffalo. Like, I think that's got to be a huge red flag to the Canadians to be like, we don't want that. Yeah. We don't want a situation where we think we're ready to make the step, but uh, you're not ready and you're going to go through another season like this. And that's what they absolutely want to avoid um, in their version of their rebuild. Yeah, next year there'll be other veterans at some point. Maybe the Josh Anderson will say, "Well, you know, how many years am I going to wait? You know, and uh, could I could I have a chance to go to a contender? I'm built for the playoffs and whatnot." I know yeah. he didn't think like that last year, and I have him top of mind because that's one guy that can't uh, use said in the past. I'm not looking to trade him, and right. he he was true to his word. He did not trade him. So it might be the same with Savard. It's not just a polite way of saying, you know, I'll just filter the offers. But but in Josh Anderson's case, it was also like teams knew that he was available. Mm -hmm. So he didn't trade him. He said, I'm not looking to trade him. But teams kept calling about him quite regularly, right up until the deadline. And so it's, yes, that's actually a very good example. I mean, it's obviously the contract is is much different. But, yeah, it's... It's it's relevant because Savard at fifty percent. If they if they use their last retention slot on Savard, Savard at fifty percent of his salary this year and next at at it would be what it would be one seven five. Yeah, that's for a guy who can play who would be probably a luxury third pairing defenseman on a very good team or a top or number four four or five uh, defensive missions galore. Yeah, penalty and kill, all that stuff. Penalty kill, eating a lot of minutes. That's a that's a bargain at one point seventy five. It is. I think I think the one concern for the Canadians would be uh, would be being up against the retention limit again next year. That would that would give them two retentions next year. Yeah, yeah. would leave them with one. But again, if their intention is to not. That's be it. a seller and whatever, then then so be it. You know, like it's it's what's the big deal? Um, so yeah, we'll see. And and the other option for that retention slot is obviously to to be a cap broker again and and just take on a contract and ship it to another to a third party team and get a pick for it in return. But 
again at this point, like how many picks do you need? Uh, <laughs> it's like it's it's yes, it's great to have them, but you know, at, at a certain point, like if they were to add a fourth round pick in the draft this year, that would give them two firsts, two thirds, two fourths, two fifths, and three sevenths. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And what do you so, want to do with all that? It's well, not even you can't, that, even, that, you can't yeah. even sign all those guys for crying out loud. So I mean, yeah. So no. if they want to make a shift, um, doing something like trading Savard or trading Allen and getting it out of the way, because um, the, the the difference I think somewhat with Allen and Savard is Savard is a very useful player right now, but it's not hard to see a, a, a future as soon as next season where he's less useful. And then it's kind of awkward, right? I mean, you see what's going on with Brendan Gallagher right now, a respected veteran player who's not playing up to standards and, and you have to kind of deal with that situation. Whereas Allen, the Canadians can rest pretty, can be pretty sure that he would be useful to them next year. If he, if he stuck around and finished his contract in Montreal, it wouldn't be the end of the world. They'd have to figure out something to do something for Primo. They're not going to carry three goalies for a second season. No. But but I think you can reasonably expect Allen to give you a similar performance or similar rate of return uh, next season. And I don't necessarily think you can make that same statement about Savard with as much assurance. Speaking of uh, Gallagher and – I mean, we'll, we'll segue into our Monday mail back because we we had a lot of questions. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a big Bill Wright who was asking, "Do you think Gallagher will be bought out at some point?" It's uh, it's a big ticket if you want to do that. It's it's big. Um, you know, we looked at it. It's either way <clears throat> either way you cut it in twenty six twenty seven. You're looking at a huge. Um, you're looking at a huge payment, a huge cap hit as a result of a buyout, just because um, Gallagher's base salary goes below his cap hit. So um, as a result, I can't really explain it because I don't fully understand it, but as a result, uh, the cap the cap hit on the buyout gets higher. So um, you're looking, if you, were to, if you were to be bought out this summer, you're looking at somewhere around 2.17 for the next two years. Then it goes up to four point uh, six seven, and then you have three years at two point one seven, basically, or three years rather. Um, you know, my That's thinking a huge commitment. It's a huge it's commitment, not, and even yeah. if you wait till next summer, it would be one point seven five in twenty five twenty six, four point two five in twenty six twenty seven. When it should be noted, the Canadians can reasonably expect to have somewhat of a competitive team. Like can reasonably expect to need that money. Yeah. Uh, and then you have two years at, at 1.75 um, left. Um, so it's a shorter buyout if you wait a year, but it's, to me, it's I, the most likely scenario I think with Brendan Gallagher is that they just, if anything, maybe they buy out the last year of his contract, but I, even then I think they just let him kind of ride it out because um Because it's it's cost prohibitive, I still think they'll see uh, some kind of value in him. Um, you know, and honestly, if, 
if they buy out the last year of his contract, it's a $3.8 million cap hit that year. And then it's 1.3 the next year. And then, and then you're out of it. So. Yeah. It's not I think, too bad. I think, that, the I think they're just going to let it ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too Plus, bad, but it's pretty, it's, it's not even, it's, it's more than half his, it's more than half his cap hit. Yeah. It's cap hit 6.5. You're looking at 3.83. And then you have to attack on a year at 1.3. I still don't think I still don't think all is lost with Brendan Gallagher. I know we gave him we really gave it to him when he hit Adam Pellick and for the penalties that he's taken and but I don't think all is lost with Brendan Gallagher. I really don't. I think he, he's not gonna be a six point five million dollar player, but he can be a reasonably effective player, a player that can help this team. As long as he just gets his head around his new reality and who he is now, um, I still think he can help this yeah. team. Um and and is not worth the financial hassles of a buyout, but he needs to get he needs to get ahead, his head around his new reality, and I don't think he's fully done that yet. So, but once he does that, I don't know. I think he can. In the sense that he he pictures himself like trying to go back to the gallery. I, I don't know if he pictures himself going back to the gallery of old, even though I. I would guess he probably does. I mean, you know, knowing Gallagher, he's he's an insanely competitive person. Like it's it's he's it's it's really. I mean, yeah. I, I've said it to his face. Like he has a problem. Like he has, it's he's not a normal human being. He's just he's he, he's just so maniacally competitive that he's probably still clinging to the possibility that he can get back to the player that earned this contract. Um, but yeah. what he needs to realize is he can still be an NHL player and can still help the Canadians. It's just not going to be in the same way. And I always go back to this, but I always go back to Dustin Brown. It's my, my big comparison for Gallagher because that contract looked awful. And that contract had yeah. everyone saying, when are they going to buy it out? How much is it going to cost? Dustin Brown's not worth that contract. And Dustin Brown wound up f finishing that contract. And if I'm not mistaken, signed another contract with the Kings before retiring. Um, so I'm not ready to pull the plug on Brendan Gallagher. As far as a buyout's concerned, I'm ready to pull the plug on Brendan Gallagher ever becoming, you know, old school Brendan Gallagher. But I still think he can be a, an effective player for the right. Canadians through the life of his contract. Effective enough, I should say. Not effective, not living up to the contract, but making it so buying it out doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh let's uh dig into the uh the our mailbag which is which is ample this week. And uh ah, we'll start with a friend of a show, Lori Bennett. Um so for those of you who started listening to us while we were hosting the Athletic Support back in the day, uh we we pretty much called a shot on the fact that the Canadians mm -hmm. would make a move on Alex Newhook uh just because he was so exactly the same sort of move that Kirby Doc was in terms of like ways of acquiring young talent and they were at similar crossroads you know guys young guys that were finishing their entry level contract that their teams the team that they had drafted them we're not so sure they wanted to commit serious money on them and they were, nah, 
they were on, really on the fence about their their, their future. And Doc actually, it, it was clear that they were ready to to capitalize on on what mm -hmm. the Hawks could get for him. So eventually, both guys were traded uh, for future assets, and the Canadians could choose to do the same thing again. So Laurie was asking, you called Alex Newhook last year. Who do you predict the Habs will target this year? I had an answer for this, and at the beginning of the season, I feel like it's still the same guy. But I'm still on Ken Johnson yeah, from possible. Columbus on that. Uh, he's, yeah, he seems like a guy who has all sorts of uh, trouble finding the trust of his uh, of his organization. Uh, things have settled down a little bit because, I mean, at some point he was sent to he was sent to the minors. He played 10 games in Cleveland, um, and now he's got 15 points in 34 games. But he's not necessarily heavily relied upon it's uh it's a it, it's such a weird situation over there in, in columbus I, i don't know exactly what they want or where they're going because they're they're bringing out the hammer against their young players taking bringing out the hammer against uh -huh. their their veterans uh it's all about accountability but it's i'm not sure exactly who's got the priority there and who's being really given the benefit of the doubt but ken johnson is playing less than 14 minutes a night and uh let's not it's I mean, it, it's not too far that he was, what, the fifth fifth pick overall? Uh, yeah, yeah, fifth pick overall in 2021. Uh, it might not be, like, the most rugged or, like, tenacious, hardcore competitor you've ever seen, but he's, he's a very skilled, talented guy. And if you're looking just for raw talent and, and you know, guys that mm -hmm. you can develop, Uh, he, he seems like an interesting bet for yeah, me. Yeah. So um, I'd go with him. The guy I'm intrigued by, I'm not saying um, the Canadians are going to go down that road, but uh, the Capocacco situation in New York seems intriguing, mm -hmm. um, especially since Jeff Gordon drafted him. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously it's not working. It's not going well. Um, and, but, Talent's undeniable. It's not quite the same situation, but it's um, it seems like something that could be worked out. And the the other guy who's actually a very similar category, like these are people that are kind of in a separate category from Doc and Newhook. Like these are guys who really look like they've hit a wall. Like Vasily put Coles in in Vancouver. Seems like a guy that you could take a yeah. chance on. You know, like and 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 Kako's different category, but I mean, it, these are, I think, you know, I think these are maybe the type of bets that are maybe not as costly um, that they're going to go after, because I really do feel, you know, the, the, the draft capital that they've acquired uh, might, they might try to use it to get some older players, but if they want to add, like when I say older, like mid twenties, you know I mean? Like someone just a little bit older, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, but Colson, Kako, those types of players who have just kind of who just seem like they could maybe use a change of scenery and get like one one more shot at sort of carving out an NHL career or a viable NHL career. I could see that happening. That would be that would be where I would go, unless the Rangers would like just flat out refuse to send Capo Capco to Jeff Gordon. Um, but which is possible, I suppose. But yeah, I would look more. <laughs> 
to that because um I mean, if they can get Ken Johnson, like power to him, but it's it's to pull that off three years in a row would be quite something. Yeah, well, they might also choose to go into yeah, as you said, a more established player. When you have four first round picks in the next two drafts, you could easily combine two well, that's, of them. Yeah. And that's and why I tried to get that's why I don't think they're necessarily gonna really do the doc new hook model of a trade again. Like I think they're gonna try to mm-hmm. maybe swing a little bigger or or just yeah, start adding pieces that 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 they think will help them and not like even, you know, when you think of Sean Monahan, Sean Monahan was a cap dump. <laughs> like, let's be honest, you know, I mean he was a cap yeah. like the Flames wanted to get rid of him and the only team willing to take him was Montreal and they got a first round pick for their troubles. So it's it's but I think they want to shift into kind of having you know, really acquiring players that they think could be a fit on this team, as opposed to players that they're just gonna kind of hope fit but are being acquired for other reasons other than their fit. All right. Um, Let's go to Maxime Pema. All right. What's more likely, Habs trading a package of picks for an established player this summer or Habs trading a package of picks to climb up at the draft and get the elite forward that they want? I've got a theory that goes as follows. There's a very good chance that one of San Jose or Chicago slides down to third overall. And because of the nature of this draft, the team's prospects list might be all over the place from second to eighth. Now, these two teams are barely starting their rebuilds, meaning that a bunch of picks might entice them to slide down a little, still get a prospect high on their list, and collect more assets. So, sorry, there's no H on assets. Just I was That's that's my French accent right anything. there. So, I'm just gonna let it slide. Yeah. That's all. I, I get it. You know, sometimes I hear myself. So if the so if the Habs really wanted a certain forward not named Celebrini, I could imagine a perfect storm to see them climb and get the coveted player, uh, Kaden Lindstrom or Demidoff, by dangling their own pick, Calgary's pick, and Winnipeg's pick. Going back to the original question, what is more likely? Uh, This year's draft is really interesting. I've, I've, I've admittedly just started to pay attention to it. It's difficult. I usually do it after the deadline. I start to focus on the draft, but I started looking at it, and, and it's amazing to me the disparity from one list to another. Like People who spend all their time looking at this, how Cole Iserman could be 13th on someone's list and third on someone else's list, or, or, you know, Demidov can sl- be sliding to the late top 10 or, or second, you know, and, and it's, so you have, you have a very wide range and the Canadians, you know, depending on how the next couple of months go are going to be picking anywhere between sixth, sixth and 10th, let's say um, they, probably would have a reasonable knowledge of the, the the likelihood or the probability of the player they like falling to the spot they're in. So the one guy that's really intriguing to me as far as the Canadians are concerned is Lindstrom. He strikes me as a guy that the Canadians, this Canadians administration and this Canadian scouting staff would really like. Um, he's again, 
I mean, I can't see him getting past five, like at the, at the, at the lowest, you know, so that would maybe require the Canadians to, to move up. So, uh, I, I, I'm not sure. Let's say theoretically, let's say the Canadians are picking seventh, which is where I think they stand right now. Um, and let's say that Jets pick is 27th, which is, I believe, where it is right now. Um, would the 7th and 27th picks be enough to get to, say, four? So, so that's my point. Like, I don't think trading the Jets pick and the Flames pick next year to move up from seven to four is worth it just because of what those picks can bring you in terms of on the trade market going out and, and acquiring players. I think that would be the Canadians priority under that scenario. Um, but that's just my opinion. I don't, I don't, I don't actually, I haven't actually talked to anyone on the Canadians about this, but um, I think they would rather use those picks to go get players, not draft players to go trade for players um, as opposed to, cause I don't think it'll move the needle right. enough for them to make any significant headway. Cause trading up into the top five is tough. That's, that's, that's really hard. You got to add, significant value um what was it the coyotes when they moved up to 11 they traded a bunch of picks in the 20s and 30s with the sharks to get up to 11 uh that's rare that's a rare thing and that's kind of you know that's that and it definitely doesn't happen in the top five that hasn't happened in a long time at least so I would say the scenario to get back to the question, the scenario, the more likely scenario is that those picks get used to acquire players, established NHL players. I'd be very surprised because yeah, it's it's a it's a mm-hmm. defense heavy draft, and I'd be surprised if the Canadians used, let's say, for example, the seventh overall pick on a on a defenseman, uh, if for some reason. The teams, the six teams before them, ignore the needs and the fact that uh-huh. there are so many good defensemen, and they happen to have Lindstrom higher. They happen to have, I don't know, uh, Demidov or or Heiserman or Ketten or whatever. But certain some of those higher ranked forwards ahead of those defensemen, the Canadians could very well choose instead of trading the later pick to trade the higher pick just because of who's available because it's not because they're going to be forwards and they're highly ranked that the Canadians are necessarily going to be interested by them I don't know I'm just making up examples but they could very much like Lindstrom and Demidov and not be so high on Eisenman so depending on who's available they could say at some point you know what we could based on who's available where we pick let's trade seven and get Very, very interesting value because there might be a team out there that say, well, we need a defenseman and there's one right there that we that's still available mm. and we'll get it at seven. So I think that usually we tend to think that, oh, well, when you have two first round picks, you keep the better one and you trade the latter, the later one. But in this case, because the Canadians have no need for one more defenseman in the first round and that it's such a, dra- a, dra- a defense heavy draft i can i could see that happening yeah i mean i would so. i think you know with these guys we've not had a draft with these guys in charge where we've had nothing to do 
So, yeah. So <laughs> I think, no. I, I, you know, I would tend to think that they would take that, they would use that pick to draft a player, but I, I'm not going to dismiss what your theory, because mm-hmm. it's not, it's not impossible to me. Absolutely. Like it's, it just seems, uh, but yeah, I think, well, ultimately to answer the question, picks being used to go get established players seems more likely than any sort of draft, mm-hmm. any draft uh, movement, I guess. Um, okay, let's move on to, uh, we got a question by email from Zach Lisak. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, I think so. Zach Lisak, um, who asks, with the Sean Monaghan trade in the books, Ken Hughes has now acquired five additional first-round picks since 2022 when he was named GM, in addition to the two first-round picks that already belonged to the Canadians. Um, feels like a good time to evaluate what he's done with those assets and speculate what he will do with the first-round picks that remain, which we've kind of gone into. Um, pick the Habs received from Calgary for Toffoli, turned into Meshar, uh, from the Islanders for Romanov, turned into Doc, from Florida for Sherratt, turned into Newhook, and Slavkovsky and Ryan Backer with their own picks. Um, first-round picks are critical to successfully navigate a rebuild, whether they're used to select a player in the draft or as a trade chip for previously drafted talent. How do you feel Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon have done in maximizing the value of the five first-round picks they've used so far? Could they have been better? What do you think? So far, I, I'm... I'm giving them very, very good grades on what they've done. I mean, we'll see. Uh-huh. When it comes to Philip Mishar, I don't know. Uh, he's got a very encouraging season in Kitchener. Um, so, but I mean. Yeah. TBD, TBD. on linebacker. Uh, I think that the Romanov. Oh, yeah. But I think that, and but Slavkovsky, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm comfortable with that pick at number one based uh-huh. on the guys that were available. That's fine. That's that's. Very decent. Uh, I mean, Romanov turned into Kirby Doc. I think it's it's probably the best move that they've done of that group. And Sherrod turned into Newhook. That's true, but there's also another pick, only a few, you know, a few slots lower. Uh, so basically, it was what it was their own, it was their own second round. Something it was their own second round pick the, plus the pick that they got for Sherrod. Yeah, that's it. So it's not. So it's not just one pick. So you have to see also what what those guys are going to turn into. Um, but at at the same time, I think the, the, uh, Newhook is it, it, it's good. But so far, I would I would feel like that trade it's good but not great. The best the best of the lot in my view is Romanov for Doc, and then I think that Slavkovsky they've. They, it, it was a, it, it yeah. remains a, sp- so, a smart pick to this day. This goes back to what we were just talking about. Like now they have four first round picks over the next two drafts and we're going to see what they do with them. You know, it's really uh, not to harp on the same thing, but it's, 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 we've reached a stage where we can't assume to your point previously, we can't assume they're going to use these to draft players all the time. So um, so this is a work in progress, which I think Zach's question, I didn't read the whole question, but it kind of alluded to, um, kind of alluded to what's happening and, and, and to what extent should Hughes and Gordon, he ends it by saying, uh, should we be giving Hughes and Gordon more credit? Am I more impressed by this than I should be? 
or does this appear to be outstanding asset management in real time? So <laughs> Zach, I think uh, to answer that part, um, <laughs> I think Hughes and Gordon deserve credit. I don't know if they deserve more than they've gotten. I think they've gotten a pretty good review on, on how they've managed the draft period throughout their time. Um, you're not necessarily more impressed than you should be. It is impressive for them. When you think about the fact that I saw this somewhere and I looked it up and it's, it's true. Mark Bergevin never acquired a first round pick. <laughs> he was never able to go out and trade for a first round pick. Huh? He got a bunch of second round picks and for a sentiment. Yeah, exactly. And for a sentiment. So in he, one fell swoop, when sure. their first yeah. draft, they drafted for a first round pick and traded for a centerman. Just a few months into the job. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so no, Zach, you, you don't, you know, you're not more impressed than you should be. And does this appear to be outstanding asset management in real time? It absolutely is so far. Let's see. Um, I mean, asset management, the gold star for asset management is the Sean Monahan trade. So, I mean, it's, you don't get much better than that in terms of asset management. So, so yeah, I think, uh, no, I, I heard people, I saw people complain online saying, oh, they should have had a prospect, not another, uh, not another pick. And there were no that, prospects but, available. Mean, getting, getting like there were no real difference making prospects. Is, and I'm it, pretty sure the Jets just closed no. the door on their, pro like, it's just, it's, it's, you're not working in, in a real world scenario where the rest of the league looks at Sean Monaghan. Yes, he's very good and he's a useful player. And there were a lot of teams that wanted him, but he's still he's not uh he's not a difference making player i mean he's you're not going out and getting um a high impact acquisition you know it's it's he is a player he's a he's a player who who is a depth player on a championship caliber team and that's you know he's a bit more than that in winnipeg but there were i think there were scenarios where he might have turned into a third line center on that team or or whatever whatever team acquired him you know it's it's not he's not a bonafide top six or top line offensive threat. And, and while he's known as a 200 foot player, there are loads of metrics that suggest his defensive game is not that great. So he had his warts, you know, he's definitely had his strengths. He was loved in the room. He was good with young players. All the things that Kevin Sheveldayoff and Rick, Rick bonus have mentioned that they like about him are all true, but it was not the perfect player that, I think a lot of people made him out to be leading into the deadline. So I think getting a first round pick for a player like that, that you already got a first round pick for, for acquiring to begin with is pretty good asset management. Speaking of the jets, I mean, you look at that, it, it, it looked as though that team was bound to be like rebuilding and it was going nowhere fast. Not uh, only a few months ago, you know, when there was talks mm -hmm. of, of Shifley leaving and Hellebuck leaving and they traded Dubois. But now, they, you know, they've got Shifley, Ehlers, Perfetti, Corner, uh, Connor, sorry, Velarde, now Monaghan. Those are like very, very good players. You've got great um, supporting cast player like Ayafalo and Lowry. They've got Morrissey on defense. They've got. Hello, Buck and Goal. And then you've got those kids that are coming, like McGroarty and uh, maybe Brad Lambert. Yeah. Kobe Barlow is a good prospect, too. So they, they're they not – and they're not a very old team. They're like – those guys, that yeah. nucleus is mainly late 20s. So they're, they've set themselves up to be – to integrate those, those prospects that they wouldn't part with and just – 
add them to the mix so that the wheel keeps turning and that, that it's i'm really impressed with the, how it yeah and it's, it it's, turns a, out it's a lesson and, that um you know disaster scenarios are not always as are not always as bad as bad as they may seem you know i mean kevin chevaldeoff made the best of that didn't panic made an excellent trade the dubois trade was very well executed uh, i think rob blake would probably like a do-over on that one at this point um so yeah i mean it's it's jamming through crises uh which you know we took a little shot at bergevay earlier bergevay showed a pretty adept ability to do as well uh but um but yeah it's good for the jets and and it it's again it makes sense for them to give up a first round pick because of the prospects you mentioned that aren't even up there and because of the young players on their team already um you know they got they can they can afford to lose a first round pick to add a Sean Monaghan, even if it's just as a rental. Um, but as Ken, you said, yeah. there are some teams who just told him I'm not spending a first round pick on a rental. So that was that. Okay. One mm-hmm. last question. H E penny Packer. Who's asking us, uh, do you guys see any salary dump targets out there that Montreal might be willing to take on to both acquire an asset pick but also shore up the center position, save Suzuki, through the end of the year. Roy, uh, Ryan Johansson-type guys. Well, that makes, that makes Ryan Johansson a, a, a so, not, a, not an option. The extra, year is, the extra year is what kills him, you know? No. And then, so, and we, 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 it's worth mentioning, we had, another pick, we had another question on LTIR that we chose not to answer, but it's relevant here because um, the Canadians have loads of LTIR space. It's just like it's, they, haven't even begin, they haven't even begun touching... Kirby Doc's LTR money and Christian Dvorak's LTR money, and they haven't gone through all of Carey Price's LTR money. So if they wanted to add a salary dump, they very possibly could. Uh, and as alluded to earlier, I think the more likely scenario, because that's kind of a perfect world, what, what, what he just described, where you take on a bad contract and you actually play him, and he's actually useful to you. So you get an asset for taking you know, much like Sean Monaghan, you get an asset for taking him and then you actually play him, uh, but would need to be on, a, on an expiring deal. Uh, you know, I really think the more likely salary dump part or use of that LTIR space would be through brokering a third-party broker for a trade around the deadline. I think that's more, far more likely as a scenario than, than a straight salary dump where you're just taking a player uh, and getting a pick for it and, and, and actually playing that player. That's if they can pull that off, then good for them. But, uh, I, I just don't see the thing about good teams in the NHL is, uh, they usually don't have too many bad contracts. Like it's like, it's kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand. No, that's, well, that's it. it. And it's so the it's case not, this year in really, particular. They're not, yeah. they're not tons of candidates where like, oh man, we could really win the cup if only we got rid of this guy replaced them with a cheaper, better guy. There's a reason they're good. It's that they don't have those yeah. guys. Other than Ryan Johansson, Ryan Johansson's Ryan Johansson and also, fits that description, but he's he's a bit of an exception. Well, they lost the Derby on Lindholm. They lost the Derby yeah. on Monaghan. They need a center. I guess they would acquire a second line center before they would entertain that idea because right now the Avalanche yeah. needs. Brian Johansson. It's not, it and that's be a, a big part them. of the reason why so, the Canadians were able to get a first round pick from the Jets because Jets 
I think quite justifiably were like, well, listen, if we don't part with this first round pick, then he might be going to Colorado. And then we're doubly screwed in that we don't have Monaghan and our direct rival in the division does, which is what Colorado is dealing with right now. Exactly. <coughs> yeah. 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 But also I was thinking, uh, you remember a few years ago out of desperation and need of players, Burge went to sign, he, he, he acquired Ilya Kovalchuk yeah. and Marcos Candela. And then when the team uh, was out of contention, he traded them for he more than yes. he had paid to acquire them. So, you know, he spent a fourth to acquire Scandella and got a second round pick yes. in return. That was pretty savvy. And then he, and he got a third round pick for, for, for Kovalchuk. I was thinking, could they look at doing the same thing? Like acquiring a player and just put a, 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 a coat of varnish on that guy and swing him a bit later. You know, a guy that goes nowhere where he is now, but they could still trade him yeah, at the deadline. They could. I mean, it's, 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 it's highly hypothetical and theoretical, but I mean, it's, it's, it, it seems like because it's still so early, they, They could get a guy for they could. No, six absolutely. weeks and they could. And they could. It's a, I mean, it could be a throw it on a train. And the thing about the, the beauty of the situation for the Canadians, if they were to do something like that, is they would be able to elevate people into bigger roles. You know, like they have room. You know, if they were to acquire a center, that player could basically become their second line center, you know, depending on who it is. But it's – Sure. Like Jack Roslovich, exactly. for example, who goes nowhere. Yeah. You know? He's not doing anything in Columbus. You take him and then, give and then him flip a month him again. as your second yeah, line exactly. center. And then, so okay. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, yeah. I think uh, as far as straight salary dumps go, it's, it's hard to find. They're hard to find. It's, it's, I don't know. But that doesn't mean they're not out there. It's just that they're, it's, it's more, um, It's more the brokering stuff that I think the Canadians intend on using that space for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's more, more logical. Hey, I know that usually we finish with, um, with, with the, uh, the, the Monday mailbag, but I just wanted to add something mm -hmm. that's not related to a question. I just wanted to acknowledge the fact that, you know, there's like the Canadians are facing the, uh, the, the Washington Capitals tomorrow. Um, Max Pacioretty has been, was skating today on a regular jersey. I know that he was out with a lower body injury uh, just before the break. So they, I guess he has a chance of facing the Canadians. But I just wanted to put out there the fact that, man, that guy had some hard luck. And uh, I really hope that he gets his thing going and, and you know, gets his, his, his rhythm back and he's able to – he's able to play and be productive again because i mean after two achilles injuries uh back to back he hasn't played much in the last couple of years um you know and i asked today i asked uh martin saint louis about him because they used to ben train Prentice. together in connecticut yeah and uh exactly and uh and back then i mean that's when started when patcheretti came back from the injury with uh with zenoshara and uh back And Pacioretty would say afterwards, he says, oh, Martin Saint-Louis, mm. he was the alpha male in our gym. 
and and Marty said, you know, it's the the thing. Also, he's got a Pacioretty's got a family, and you get a new sense when you got kids of setting the right example for your kids, and because they're your they're looking up to you, and it's going to be important that they you set a good example for them. It's not just for your own career; it's also mm. for your for your kids. And he says, in that sense, he's set, he's definitely setting the right example with the amount of determination that he's he's showing in getting back from those injuries so no i do i, I wish him the best and he was uh that was a great player to cover and and obviously it ended it ended very poorly in montreal but still um you know he's yeah i i he doesn't deserve everything that's happened to him over the last little while um Yeah, you know, he deserves to have some some drama free time to play hockey and 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 succeed and 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 play to hit the best visibility. You know, like I'm honestly one of the still remains one of the most underrated goal scorers of of that period of time. Um, playing on a team that relied on him to score, he put up goals at a rate that was among the best in the NHL over a three to four year period and never really got the appropriate credit yeah. for it with David Darnay as a center. All due respect to David Darnay, but like, you know, and he always, always defended Darnay, like was always saying how great of a player he is. Never accepted that as, as praise, like, Oh, you're doing this and you're doing it with David Darnay as your center. He would never allow that. Always stood up for his guy, knowing full well that, While oh, David Darnay yeah. was, was an effective NHL player and beat the odds to be that is not Sidney Crosby and is not Evgeny Malkin or, or Nick Backstrom or whatever, um, still put up all those goals. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I root for Max Pacioretty to find health and, and be able to continue his NHL career, um, with no, uh, with no more hassles, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening uh, to the Bessu and Gadein Notebook. This uh, new edition will be back on uh, on Friday. Uh, future Future Friday will be back this week. We took a we took a break uh, last week because we really cut were you know caught off guard last minute by uh, by Sean Monahan's trade, and it took uh, you know all of our resources. But we'll be back with <laughs> with Future Friday, and then uh, that's it. Well, enjoy your week, you Arpin, and all of our listeners and viewers thanks everyone bye bye so that's it <laughs>